Pray with me, please, this morning. Lord, we ask that in our weakness, you might be made known more and more and more. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. May be seated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this morning by doing something that my mom and my dad told me that I should never, ever, ever do. <laughs> I am going to start with some assumptions. Here's my first assumption. My first assumption is that if you have spent any time in places such as these, maybe even this particular place, uh, or something like it, if you've spent any amount of time hanging out with preachers, if you spend any amount of time hanging around with other Christians, then at some point in your life, my guess is that you have heard somebody explain to you in some way the responsibility that you share um, in this faith that we hold. The responsibility that you share to bring it out to the world, to, to others who don't yet know it, who have not yet heard it. That's my first Assumption. Now, here's my second assumption. My second assumption is that probably the first time you heard that, immediately your heart did something, and that you were made a little bit uncomfortable, and that your mind began to race, and, and something like this began to flow through your thoughts. Something like, you know, I desire for others to know and to benefit from the truth that I have found in Christ, and that I know to be true in Christ. But I also know that, that I am in no way capable of sharing that truth with them in a way that is effective. You know, my, my life is not a good enough example. The truth that I know it's just too profound for me to be able to speak clearly. Honestly, my, my mind, it's just not capable of comprehending it in such a way that I can then speak it out to somebody else. It's just not within me. My guess is I'm not alone in having had these thoughts. And here's my third assumption, is that if we, uh, if we were brave enough to admit it to each other, that we would actually find comfort in the sheer number of people who have had the exact same thought that we have when this responsibility has been explained to us. Now, here's what I want to present to us this morning, this question um, that I want to look at. And the question is that, what if I told you that this admission of inadequacy, this, this admission of weakness that we all share, what if that was, in fact, our greatest asset when it comes to sharing the faith that we have received? What if it was, in fact, the greatest gift that we could give to somebody else as we seek uh, to share, them, share with them the truth that we know to be true, the love that we have experienced ourselves? Well, most likely, if I were to make such a charge, you would say, prove it. And so that is what I'm going to try to do this morning. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter 2. The reading's also in the a handout in your bulletin if you want to follow along with that. 
We're going to take a look at just the first five um, verses of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians. Now, I know our reading was uh, 16 verses. It was actually the entire length of chapter 2 in Corinthians. Um, And in that chapter, Paul sort of ends one argument and he begins another. Uh, And so um, I've I've chosen to focus in on the first five verses of chapter 2, sort of the end of one argument. Not because there's nothing to gain from the rest of it, but because... Uh, You don't have all day, and neither do I, and nor do I have the ability to explain all things right now. Um, So so we're just going to take a look at the first five. And so in these first five verses, what we see is we see Paul explaining uh, his methods and the decisions that he made when he brought the gospel to the Corinthians for the first time. Paul is the founder of the church in Corinth. They, they, they had not experienced the gospel before him. And so we have Paul explaining in these five verses uh, one decision that he deliberately made uh, in terms of what he chose not to do and, and another decision that he made in terms of what he chose to do as he brings the gospel to the Corinthians for the very, very first time. So look at verse 1 in chapter 2. The first thing that Paul mentions is something that he deliberately chose to not do. Verse 1, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I chose not to use lofty speech or wisdom. And we have to ask the question, why not? Why not? And the answer to that question, one answer, lies in this preceding text, this argument that he's been building up in chapter 1. And what he says in chapter 1 is that there are two wisdoms. There's the wisdom of the world, and then there's the wisdom of God. And in chapter 1, he lays out and he presents how far superior the wisdom of God is to the wisdom of the world. He says it is, there's no contest. That there are two different wisdoms, but they are in no way equal to each other. That one far surpasses the other. And he says in verse 20 and in verse 25 of chapter 1, he says, Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so Paul lays out that it's the, the wisdom of the world that would say, that there is no God because he can't be measured according to worldly standards. It's the wisdom of the world that would say that even if there is a God, well, he certainly can't be known. That he can't be known through worldly means. It's according to the wisdom of the world that we don't need a rescuer because I have within me all that I need to pick myself up by the bootstraps given any particular circumstance or situation. Or at the very least, that we, as a a human race, that we share amongst ourselves everything that we need to solve every problem of the heart or of the world. This is what the wisdom of the world says. And it's according to the wisdom of the world that it would be complete and utter foolishness to think that if if there was an almighty God, an all-powerful God who created more than we can even fathom to understand... If this God did exist, then he certainly wouldn't care even one iota about any one of us. He certainly wouldn't care enough to do something that would cause him harm. 
this great and powerful and magnificent God. That's what the wisdom of the world says. So then why doesn't Paul use these fancy words and this lofty speech? Well, it's, it's quite clear and quite simple, really. It's because a fork will never be a good spoon, right? Because fancy words are only valuable according to the wisdom of the world. And they can never hold the weight of the truth of the wisdom of God. They are inadequate. Now, if you're here this morning and you still haven't quite made up your mind on who this Jesus is, and you don't exactly buy the claims that he makes, at least, at least not yet, it's worth asking yourself this question. What wisdom are you using to evaluate the claims that he makes? What wisdom are you using? Are you using a wisdom that is, that is dictated by this, by this world and the limitations of this world that, that seeks insight into things that are beyond its capacity to understand? What are the tools that you are using as you ask questions about who Christ is? Because it's the wisdom of the world cannot give you an answer that will satisfy. And my guess is that that has been your experience as well, that the answers you've received do not satisfy your heart. And it's because they can't. And it's because the wisdom of the world was never meant to be able to do that. Now, our, our second verse in chapter 2, uh, it gives us a second reason why Paul would avoid using this extensive uh, rhetorical the flourish, these lofty words. You see, Paul had a decision to make. Look at verse 2 with me. He said, I decided to know. I decided it was a choice that I made. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Only Christ and Christ crucified. Only the foolishness of God to compete with the wisdom of the world. That's all that's necessary, nothing else. Only the foolishness of God, Christ and Christ crucified. So now having stated this, this one deliberate choice that he made uh, in terms of things to not do in his presentation of the gospel to the Corinthians, then he turns to, to a choice that he did make, something that he did choose to do. And we see that in verse 3. Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Notice the words that he uses there. I was with you. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. He doesn't say, now I, I helped you through much weakness and fear and trembling and so you owe me. He doesn't say, I fixed the problems that led to your weakness and your fear and your trembling. He doesn't even say, I gave you the answers to explain away your weakness and your fear and your trembling. And he says something much more simple than that. He says, I was with you. When you were in those moments, I made sure that you were not in them alone. And what effect did that have on the Corinthians? Well, we see that in, in verse 4. Paul writes that for the Corinthians, his mere presence among them, simply being with them in their weakness and in their fear and in their trembling, was the demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God. 
Now, if you, if you do know who Christ is, if, if that is um, something that you have, have received and are grateful for, I, I gave you a challenge at the beginning, and I said that, there, that you might have experienced this feeling of inadequacy when it comes uh, to presenting this truth to other people, that, that maybe you felt that you weren't quite there, not quite capable, not, not quite um, able to make that happen to speak that truth. Verse 5 is where Paul gives us an explanation as to why that inadequacy is in fact an asset, your greatest asset when it comes to preaching the gospel. Paul writes uh, in verse 5 that he made these decisions about how to present the gospel to the Corinthians so that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Hear what Paul is saying to you today. He's saying that if you're afraid that you don't have what it takes, well, guess what? You don't. And that is good news. That is good news. That's exactly how it should be. The Corinthians didn't need another Savior. They had one in Jesus Christ. They, they simply needed to be introduced to him. That was the role that Paul saw for himself that he would witness to the power of the gospel. And that's the role that God has ordained for, for each one of us who know who Christ is. You see, it's the power of his word. It's the power of his actions. It's not our own words or our own actions that bring about salvation. This next point is particularly difficult. If you've invested heavily into uh, the local church, uh, it's hard for Ken, it's hard for me. But this next point is still very true. There is no church program, there's no church service, there's no potluck meal, and there's no oyster roast that has the ability to redeem and restore people into right relationship with God. These things are good, and they have value to the kingdom and to the church. But they don't have the ability to restore to new life that which has been lost. And this is good news for us. It's wonderful news because what it does is it gives us freedom to be imperfect people who follow a perfect Christ. It gives us freedom to say that I am, in fact, on the road to understanding who Christ is, that, that I don't have it all figured out, but that I do know that when I was weak and fearful and trembling that there was a God who came by my side, who was there with me, who in fact experienced a weakness and a fear and a trembling that far surpassed my own. And not because he had to, but because he chose to. Because his love for me was that great. And we're free to say, I know nothing more than that and I'm trying to figure it out, but I want you to join me. And I want you to help me figure this out. And I want you to come alongside me. That's interesting. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, and I want to end with this thought, because in 2 Corinthians we get a, um, a picture of what the Corinthian church actually thought of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, it says that the Corinthians thought that his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. This is Paul we're talking about. He wrote half of the New Testament. This is Paul. He, his missionary circuits founded the churches that, that, uh, that we stand on today. 
This is Paul, and they're saying, yeah, you know, his bodily presence was a little weak, and his words weren't that great. And yet it is through this man that the power of the gospel was proclaimed. It's through this man that the church flourished. We can be imperfect Christians because we cling to a perfect Christ. And it's only the foolishness of God that, they, that makes that true. It's only the foolishness of God that can say that my weakness is, in fact, the kingdom's greatest strength. That my inability is, in fact, exactly what is needed and exactly what my neighbors and my friends and my family who don't know Christ need to hear. And so my prayer is that you are bold in your weakness so that God's power in Christ might be known. Amen.